together. Uh, I want to continue in the, the spirit of ministry that I felt taking place as we were singing that song with what I believe the Lord would have me share in the scripture today. Um, I want you to imagine, if you would, that, that you were living a, a little over 2,000 years ago. Not easy to imagine because a lot's changed in the last 2,000 years. As I, as I was thinking about this, the first thing I thought was, well, if we were still 2,000 years ago, but we were alive on the earth, and if we were living in this region, uh, people wouldn't even know about us. When did, uh, when did Christopher Columbus sail to America? What was that, 1492? If I remember right. That was less than 2,000 years ago. So if we were actually 2,000 years ago, during the time of the, the birth of Jesus and the New Testament, uh, and you were living in Yakima, you uh, likely would have missed that message that, that Jesus was born at that time on that day. Now, go back even further than that, many thousands of years be before that, and put yourself, what would, what would I know? What would, what would life be like? What would I be... Uh, living for? What would, what would I be searching for in my life? And with that uh, mindset, with that mind frame, I want you to examine, as we look at these scriptures today, that was the mind frame of the people at the time. Look at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, if you will. This was one of those, not just 2,000 years ago, but several thousand years before that, uh, when this scripture was written by a man named Isaiah, a prophet. The Lord gave him this word to share, and he shared it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Unto us. 5,000 years ago or so. A son is born. What's going on? He's prophesying about something that's going to happen in the future. A son is born to you in the future. Unto us, this son is born. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now pause for just a second. That's who the child that is born to us will be called. I know I have five children and I think they're all wonderful. I have five children, but I don't seek them all for much counsel yet. Every now and then I might. But I certainly would not call their name the mighty God. If you have a child, would you name your child the mighty God? What about the Everlasting Father? Anybody here have a child and you want to change their name because this sounds like a good name? Oh, come here, little Everlasting Father. I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you get the picture. This is a significant prophecy. A very significant prophecy. Something's going to happen when this child is born. 
the everlasting Father. Everlasting mean like He's always been. He always will be. So He's going to be born. Isaiah 53 and 4. The same guy around the same time wrote this part of the prophecy. And I'm only reading a couple of these verses. I wish I had the time to read this, uh, this whole passage. But now he's talking about, unto us a child is born. That child who's called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That child, surely, as a man now, he hath borne our griefs. Again, this is not just 2,000 years ago that he wrote this. This was back beyond that time. So he's prophesying about in the future, we will be able to say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. A transgression is when you've done something wrong. He was wounded because you've done something wrong. He was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities means you've done something wrong. He was bruised because you've done something wrong. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The price that you have to pay to have peace was on him. With his stripes, we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep, me and you and all of us, 5,000, 6,000 years back and up to zero and then further into 2022, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That was written for us a long time ago. If you allow me, I'm going to try to keep my reading to a minimum, but I've got some things I, I want to read to you. Um, thoughts that I felt the Lord had me write about what I think and then to share. I want to tell you what I think about God, uh, about His existence, about His makeup and His nature. I want to tell you what I think about Him. And I'll tell you everything that I think about Him has come from the life that I've lived so far up to this point, the knowledge that I've learned, and the life that I've lived, and the experiences that I've had, including ministry that I've received, and scriptures that I've read. That's how I got what I think about God. Now, I already said it, and the scripture said it, the everlasting part of Him. He is eternal. That's the, the, when I think of God, the very first thing I think of was, He wasn't born yesterday. And He's not going to die anytime soon. He is eternal. Has always been. Like, he wasn't born. That's one of the first questions my kids start to ask when they start to try to comprehend this idea of eternal God. Well, when, when was he born? 
When did he start? Who created him? How did he get here? He is. That's how he got here. He is. He decided to create this world and everything that's in it. God, the everlasting one, decided to make our world. He had a thought. He had a plan. He had an idea to create. We call him creator. That's a part of who he is and what he does. So he thought, as the creator, I'm going to create. And so then we try to uh, explain that with passages such as Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was his idea. He says it in other places. I didn't counsel with anybody. I didn't go and knock on uh, my neighbor Jim's door and be like, Hey, Jim, uh, I, I'm thinking I'm going to create something. Well, uh, probably the earth. How's that sound? Oh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Let me know if you need a hand. No, I did this alone, and I counseled with no one. He, he had the thought, the idea to create. Now, being eternal, self-existent, everything, and the only wise one. That's another thing that I think about God. He's the only wise one. I know a lot of smart people. I've met a lot of smart people. I've seen and read and heard stories of a lot of smart people. But he is the only wise one. I would tell you that my belief is we as human beings all get our knowledge and our capacity to learn from God, our Creator. There's not one person that decided, I just think I want to be smart, so let me start to learn. No. You get that from your Creator. So He's the all-knowing one, the wise one. Being all-knowing, He also knew what would happen or could potentially happen with this creation. He didn't make something and then say, well, let's see how this goes. It was not an experiment. Do you understand that? We, in our limited knowledge and capacity, even the wisest, the smartest ones, work by experimentation. We learn through trial and error. God does not learn through trial and error. He didn't decide, I'm going to make these, uh, this world and put these inhabitants in it. I'll call them human beings, and uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe there'll be some good ones and some bad ones. Maybe some errors and some, some learning No. He knew. Hear me. He knew, and he does know every single one that has ever been or ever will be. There's not a person born that surprised God. There's not any person that he was like, oh, I missed that one on my calendar. I was trying to write happy birthday to every single person, and somehow this one got past me. No, he knows every single one. Now, being all-knowing, he also knew if I create this thing called a human with the ability 
with the capacity to learn and then make decisions based on their knowledge, that is on them and not on me. I'm giving them a brain and I'm going to wire it in such a way that they learn through experience and they learn, yes, I want to do that more. No, I don't want to do that more. He doesn't, he, he doesn't create a human being, give them the, the innate ability to read and say, here's your instruction manual for life. Do all these things and don't do all of these things. No, he creates them with the ability to learn and grow and then to make decisions based on the things that they learn as they're growing. He knew what, could, what this could potentially mean. By creating man in his image and in his likeness, he created us with the ability to think and act independently. He knew that some would act in such ways that would require redemption. I'm going to go back again and say, when I had my children, I didn't expect any of them to be perfect and never require any kind of discipline. I knew going into it as becoming a father, I probably will have to try to give some discipline somewhere along the way. Not only just discipline and negative, like why can't you do anything right, but let me also teach you the right way to do some things. Just this morning, I was trying to teach one of my sons how to roll up your sleeves. I've been doing this for you for quite some time. How about I show you how to do it? God feels that way about us. I've been carrying you a while here. How about I show you the right way to do some things and let you see if you can do this? But, but I all, again, I know just as an earthly father, my kids are not going to be perfect as in perfect as far as never doing things wrong. But I, so then knowing that, does that mean, well, sorry, I guess I can't do anything for you anymore because you did something wrong. No, but I wonder if that is ever our opinion of God. Oh, I guess he can't do anything for me anymore because I did something wrong. Really, do you, do you really think that is the level of creation that he created you at? He threw me out here on my own. And then is just watching me flounder in life. No. He knew with the potential to decide between right and wrong comes the possibility of deciding wrong. And so being all-knowing and all-wise, he thought, I better have a plan for when they do something wrong. That's what we call redemption. I will forgive you for the thing that you've done wrong. Quickly, let me say this just quickly. Um, what is this? Genesis chapter 3. No, sorry, chapter 2. I want you to see this one verse before we go on. Genesis 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. So 16 says, The Lord commanded them, Eat of every tree of the garden, thou must freely eat. Verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. This is not the focal point of this message today, but I believe the Lord gave me some understanding here that I want to try to share with you quickly. I'm timing myself. You're not rushing me. I don't feel pressure from you. Okay? But I want to do this quickly because I got more I got to get to. Have you ever wondered why God did not just kill Adam and Eve after they ate of the fruit of that tree because of what this verse says? In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I'll be honest with you, I have wondered that before. I'm just telling you, you walk with the Lord for over 30 years and you start to wonder some things sometimes. So one of the things I've wondered is, Lord, if you are true and what you say is true, then how did, why did you not kill them when they did the thing that you said don't do because you said you'd kill them if they did it? That's my interpretation of the scripture. That's not what the scripture means. When it says in the day that thou eatest thereof. It, does, it does, does not mean an instantaneous death like dropping dead from being poisoned. Okay? It wasn't like he was secretly poisoning them and decided, well, if you do this, here's the consequence. You're going to drop dead. It means, here, here's another way of rephrasing what he says here. The occasion of your eating will cause you to die. Death was not even a consideration unless they ate it. Do you understand that? He didn't make Adam with an expiration date when he created him in the garden. Or Eve when he created her. Here you are, you've only got so many days, so many hours, so many years to live, and then you're going to die. No, he didn't create them with that. He created them and said, if you do this, death will enter the picture. It's not here now. But if you do, here's what will happen. Here's what you, will op here's what you are opening yourself up to. Imagine trying to explain death to somebody that's... No, when no one's ever died. It's kind of like Noah and rain when it's never rained. Adam, I love you a lot, and I always want to be with you forever and forever. Just like this, I'm good with this relationship. You're doing the things that I created you for. But this relationship that we have right now can only stay like it is if you obey the word, where does he get the right to tell me to obey his word? I think he got it around the time that he created you. God can't tell me what to do. You're right. He can't tell you what to do, but he also told what had to happen for you to get here. just saying that's a that's an attitude that crops up sometimes in our human nature Go, well, 
why is God so mean that he would make rules like that and, and, and tell them you can't do this or you'll be punished? How about we back up a step and say, why was God so loving that he created a person to have a loving relationship with? Because that's who he is. Death would not even enter the picture unless you eat this. It's a lot like, I'm not going to take any more time on this except to tell you, Judges 18.30, it talks about the day of captivity. That's the start of of captivity for people not oh for a moment you're in captivity and then you're done or just for one day no it's ushering in in a time period an era so by saying in the day that you eat of you will surely die you are ushering in the era of death the time period of death does that make sense so I'm telling you what I know about God so God made man, he gave him instructions, and he gave the idea of consequences or action, consequences for actions. God did that for us. The initial plan or desire was for him to have a relationship with men. He loved the world so much that he gave himself. Let me put it this way. He loved the world so much that he was willing to beget himself. As a son. That is his vehicle of fleshly manifestation for the purpose of redeeming or reconciling the world unto himself. So again, I said it. He knew from the beginning the potential for when they do wrong I'm going to have to do something to help them get back right again. Now, he knows everything. He knew, he, he, he's already there at the end right now. He knows all, all of it from the beginning to the end. He also lets you live your life. So part of letting men live their lives was, okay, now that death has to be in the picture, Adam and Eve, here's how death is going to work. And part of this death will allow you and I to get back into the right relationship again. We call that the sacrifice. I don't have time to go through that right now today. But they lived with a time period. Men lived with a time period of, of sacrificing animals because of death to try to get back right with God. He created that rule. If you got a problem with why and how he created that rule, see... Number one, he created everything. Okay? I'm trying to go quickly in case you can't tell. So he wanted us to have a relationship. He wanted us to have a right relationship. That was all those thousands of years of living with those people and a certain chosen people. But God loves everybody. He wants us all to be saved, not just those born of a certain lineage or heritage. You believe that? So he needs to make this thing universal. 
I, he says it in other passages. I've got other sheep that are not of this sheepfold, and I want to bring them in too. He wants to make everything universal for everyone because he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want you to die. Even if you were born in the state of Washington, he doesn't want you to die. You understand that? He, he, I, I'm trying to knock down all the excuses I can right here at the beginning and say, because we as humans will say, well, it's just, that's great for them, but it's not really for me. Or I'm trying to live this life for God a little bit, but others seem to excel at it. Maybe it's because they are sh 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 fill in the blank. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So to get universal, he's, he beget himself. He sent Jesus into the world, that the world through him might be saved. That's John 3, 17. First Timothy 3, 16. I want to look at this verse really quickly. Knowing the end from the beginning... God knew that the world would need the Savior. Knowing the end from the beginning, God knew that the world would need the Savior. 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. I wanted you to see that phrase right there and let you know it's in the Bible. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, this is not the same thing as you being the temple of the Holy Ghost or me being the temple of the Holy Ghost. I walk around and I believe, honestly, the Spirit of God is living inside of me and this is not my life anymore. It's His life living through me. But that's not the same as me saying, I'm God manifest in the flesh. No, that happened one time with one man, Jesus. God was manifest in the flesh. I don't have time to go through the rest of that. But this was his idea. He had, Matthew 1, verse 20. He had to be born to be as we are. To be our substitutionary sacrifice, he had to be like you and like me. He had to be born of a woman. This is the angel speaking to Joseph. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son... And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He had to get here the same way that you and I got here, to actually be a substitution for us. So we don't have to kill lambs anymore, or bulls, or goats, or doves, or anything like that. That did not take away your sin all it did was death into the picture, back from the beginning. Death, 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 death. God's not a God of death. God's a God of life. I want life here between you and me. You know what? If I cause death 
to stop. If I, if I take away this need for death, then I can have the right relationship with you that I want. The scripture says that he came to fulfill the law. You couldn't fulfill the law. I couldn't fulfill the law. None of our ancestors, all these thousands of years back, could fulfill the law. No, sorry, not even your great-great-grandma, who's a saint, and we love them. They couldn't fulfill the law. We couldn't fulfill the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And as a man lived a man's life to, and still fulfilled the law and died a death as a spotless lamb. We jump from killing animals to a human who is a proper human sacrifice that you couldn't be and I couldn't be. That's how he will save his people from their sins. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Death has entered to this picture. And the blood of bulls and goats is not good enough. My blood would be good enough. The only thing is, I'm a spirit. I don't have blood. I don't have flesh. But since I make the rules, this is God. Since I make the rules, my blood will work. Don't you just love playing with kids and they change the rules in the middle of the game? This game is called I'm going to win. I don't care what we're playing. The game's called I'm going to win because I'm going to make sure the rules work in my favor. Again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or, or callous about any of this, but I'm telling you, God can change the rules and he can say, I need the blood of a spotless human being to really satisfy the law, so I will do it with my blood. You can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. I've given you guys thousands of years to try, and nobody's doing it. I'll do it. That is how I see Jesus getting to the earth. Because there had to be blood of a spotless human lamb. He, scripture says it, he robed himself in flesh, took on the form of a servant, and made himself obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That we might be called the righteousness of God in him. You would not be called the righteousness of God if he had not done that. I'm trying to go quickly. I'm not going to finish all this today. I had to get you that far to get to the idea of Jesus and specifically the problem that so many people had 
and still have with Jesus. Let me do this very quickly. Brother Timothy, if you can keep up, good job. John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman at Samaria tells him, this is Jesus after he's born. He hasn't started doing a whole lot of his earthly ministry yet. He has done a few miracles here and there, and this is where he's at in life. And this is where she's at in life, and she is a representation of life at that moment for everyone, especially the Jews and the Samaritans. I know that Messiah cometh, or Messiah which is called Christ. This is her speaking to him. When he has come, he will teach us all things. So until he gets here, I... What? Until he gets here, I don't have to worry about learning anything more than what I know right now? I'm not trying to pick on her. God loves her. But this is the snapshot of humanity at that moment on the earth. We are waiting for Messiah. And when he gets here, we can put all these debates to end about who's right and who's wrong and where to worship and where not to worship and how to sacrifice. We can put all that to end when Messiah shows up and finally just puts it all straight for us. And Jesus tells her, I am he. Here we, here we go. I'm here. Now what? Uh, really? Uh, okay, while we're there in that chapter, I'm going to do this quickly. John chapter 4, Brother Timothy, if you'll go down to verse 29. You know the passage. I'm not going to take the time to go through that. But Jesus tells her, I'm the Messiah. Let's talk. She goes back to her village and says, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? That is the question that I am asking today. Because I see it over and over and over in Scripture. This is the theme. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I was really just going to try to teach on, on oneness today. But this is, this is teaching on oneness. And I don't even really honestly like using the term oneness as much as I just like to talk about God and Jesus. As much as I like to talk about God as Jesus. Is not this the Christ? So he starts to show himself. John 1, 41. No, yes, John 1, 41. This is Andrew who would later become a disciple of Jesus. Before he was a disciple of Jesus, this is just the life that he was living. He findeth his own brother Simon and says to him, We found the Messiah. We found him. We were living, looking for him, waiting for him. For how long? For thousands of years, back when Isaiah wrote those original prophecies that we read about. We found him unto us. 
The child has been born. Unto us the son has been given. Brother, Simon, can I... I'll, I'll, I'll put myself in Simon's shoes for a moment because I've got a brother and I've got an excitable brother. If you think I'm excitable, you, don't, you haven't seen excitable until you know my brother. I can imagine him coming into my room 8 o'clock in the morning when I'm a teenager and I'm supposed to be still getting to sleep in. Caleb, wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Come on! We found the Messiah! You won't believe it! He's finally here! Really? we got to go to another Bible study? That would be probably my, my attitude. What now? Uh, yeah, that's me. Thank God that wasn't death. We found him. Uh, Brother Timothy, go through a few more verses there. 43, I think. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and says to him, follow me. The next verse, Philip's got a brother. Philip was in Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Next verse. Philip findeth Nathaniel, says to him, we found him. You see a theme. The woman at the well in Samaria was living life knowing someday the Messiah would show up. Philip, Nathaniel, Simon, Andrew, these are all just good religious people living life the way that religious people lived life at that time until Jesus showed up and he changed everything he changed the picture I'm almost done I realize you've been sitting there a while I told you I'm not going to finish but I'm going to get to a good stopping point John 1.29. This is further back in this passage. I want to tell you about one, one more person's experience. John the Baptist. The next day. Okay, let's go back to verse 28. You'll get the picture. John the Baptist. Guess what he was doing? baptizing. These things were done in Bethsaida, beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. He was doing his thing. Verse 29. The next day John sees Jesus coming to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Next verse. This is he of whom I said after me cometh a man which is preferred before me for he was before me. Next verse. And I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am come. I didn't know exactly. I love this passage because you know like I know the part about when they were both in the womb and he recognized him in that moment. He left and he said or his mother said Blessed art thou among women, because the moment you walked in, the baby in my womb leaped because of the baby in your womb. And John says, I knew him not. Why? But that he should be made manifest to Israel. If I had grown up holding hands with him, playing, playing with him, and 
growing up together. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, hey, by the way, your cousin right there is the Messiah. That'd be a lot harder for me to come out here into the wilderness and say, oh, I've known him for a long time. No, I don't know who he is, just like you don't know who he is. But now I know that's him. Therefore I am come baptizing with water. Verse 32. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said to me. Who do you think sent John the Baptist to baptize? Not his dad, not his uncle. It was God. So that's who the Lord said to John the Baptist. time to go into that one. But God, the everlasting Father, spoke to John the Baptist and said, you will see with your eyes the Spirit descending and remaining on him. The same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. John 5.15. This is my last passage. I'm skipping over Nicodemus. If you know Nicodemus in John 3, you know that just like God did, Jesus did with the woman at the well in John 4, he did that with Nicodemus. That's the whole, uh, except the man be born of water and spirit. You know, Jesus was revealing himself to individuals as the Messiah. This is me. This is who I am. Then we get to this part. Jesus healed a man. I believe John 5 is at the, the pool of Bethsaida. He healed that man. That man ran. It just says, and he told the Jews that Jesus did it. Up until this point, everything has been honky-dory. If you don't know that word, we'll talk about it later. Things have been going great for Jesus up until this point. But the word gets to the Jews. That's what the scripture says. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Next verse. I've only got about three more verses and I'm totally done. Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus. Why? Sought to slay him. Why? Because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. That's pretty harsh, don't you think? That's all they knew about him up to this point. Healing guy. He's like a doctor, right? Well, you can't be a doctor on the Sabbath. Sorry, let's go kill him. I'm, I'm not joking. That was the life that they were living. Doctor? Working with a patient on the Sabbath day? Not on our watch. We're going to make life really hard for him. But keep going. Jesus answered them. I don't know how he got there. But all of a sudden, he's there in the middle of the conversation. My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Wait, 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 wait. Who's this dad of yours? Because how did we miss him? We, I thought we got all the Sunday workers around here. Who's this father of yours that can work whenever he thinks he can work and disregard the Sabbath? Next verse. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also 
that God was his father making himself equal with God. Okay, this is a lot more than just you working on the Sabbath now. All of a sudden, you're telling me that your father is God. This guy. You know what we do with people like that, don't you? We call them blasphemers, and we say, tell, your, tell them your final goodbyes, because your, your life is over. You can stand with me. I'm, gonna, I'm coming to a close. This, this is how Jesus started to get persecuted by the Jews. He wasn't, he, he was, he was undeserving of any of this. He was working the work that his father sent him to work. The father that we started talking about that said, I need to get into human form. I'll send myself in human form this way. This is This is how we got here. This is how we got here 2000 years later. And people deciding Jesus not Jesus. Good guy. Crazy guy that was never anything more than what people wrote in a book. Because from that day on people have been given the information and then given the opportunity to decide with this information what are you going to do? It says it in, I think, all of the Gospels, probably most chapters it says it. This stuff happened and many believed. This stuff happened and many followed. This stuff happened and many believed on him. That's why. And then he says it throughout Scripture. Except you believe that I am he. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe that I am, you don't know my father. The choice is yours and mine. With this God that I know that created everything and came to the world the way that he did for the purpose that he did. What do I do with that information? It's what they asked in Acts chapter 2. They were pricked in their heart and said, Men and brethren, what are we to do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost is the right relationship that he wanted from day one. That puts you in the right standing that he wanted you to be in from the beginning. We need to pray.
I'm going to open these altars. I'm going to ask you to take a time and just respond to the Lord. I know I've said a lot, probably a lot you, takes time to comprehend, but right now we have the opportunity to respond to the Spirit of the Lord that's in this room. I'm going to ask you to do that. Would you all find a place to pray in the name of Jesus? Lord is my shepherd. to 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for holding us close. Thank you, Jesus, for being my comfort. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I want to continue to talk to the Lord for a few moments this morning. He's moving in this place right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God is a personal God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's outside of all time and all space. But at the same time, He's personal. And he wants a personal and individual relationship with every single person in this place. Sometimes we can distance ourselves so much from him because of how great and how powerful and awesome he is. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. But at the same time, you know, the first instances of God we see in scripture after creation is him walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And the very reason that he robed himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us was to be able to restore that kind of relationship to be able to restore a place of personal relationship with each and every one of us what sin separated us from his sacrifice made possible once again and I feel the Lord this morning just drawing us just there waiting for us saying it's not that complicated <laughs> We can overcomplicate it sometimes, but he just wants this type of intimacy with us each and every day. 
And you know what's amazing is when the Lord created the world, He first created the, the trees and the ocean. Before He created the birds that would sit in the trees, He made a place for them. Before He created the, before he created the fish that would fill the ocean, He made the oceans to house them. And before He created man, He was already that lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Before He made us, He already had a plan for each of us. Oh, one more time, can we just thank Him this morning? Thank Him for being that lamb that was slain. Thank Him for being the spotless lamb that could take away the sins of the world. Jesus, I thank You. Jesus, I thank you for saving me. Thank you for bringing me close, God. Thank you for being a personal God. You're all powerful, Jesus, but you're also personal. You're intimate, Lord, and you're waiting in a secret place for us to come in and to abide with you. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. I pray that we would return to the place, God, of intimacy with you. That we return to the place, God, of walking with you in the cool of the day. At the start of our each and every day, that we would find a place to walk with you. That we'd find a place to commune with you, Jesus. To find our purpose. To find our being in you, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 And I would just challenge you in this coming week to seek to have a place, a personal place with God every day. Make it a point at the start of every single day to find the place with Him. To go back to Genesis, the, it's not chapter 1, but the very beginning of Genesis when God had a relationship with man. Find that place for yourself the Lord wants it. Even if it's only for 15 minutes, set aside some time that's undistracted, that's distracted, free of, free of anything that would pull you out of it. Shut the door and go in and find a personal place with God at the beginning of every day. Do it at least for a week and just see what happens. Amen. God bless you. We love you all, and we will see you on, on Tuesday night. Amen. You're dismissed.